Hello and welcome back to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs. I've just got back about a day ago, day and a half ago, from a two-day trip visiting all around Northeast Essex in the UK with Monica. So we packed up Monday morning, packed up the Bonneville and headed off at about 7.45. We had to pack light for this because we wanted to, of course, both go together. So you immediately half the amount of luggage space that you each get. But also we weren't camping. So what we had is two panniers or one pannier each. And we decided to not add any extra luggage to the rear rack that we've got. So it was very strict. A fairly smallish pannier each, just to make it as simple as possible. So we headed off for the day, explored, went to loads of different places, and we stayed in the evening in this stunning wood cabin, Scandinavian-inspired wood cabin, right in the middle of a 300-acre farm. Managed to park the Bonneville outside. There was your own private terrace with private rear area looking out onto farming, farming up farmyards, looking out onto a wheat farm. Parked the Bonneville outside, right, right next to a wood burner, had a terrace with a sofa, and you could just sit having a bottle of wine, looking at the Bonneville with the fields behind and just the occasional hare running past. It's a magical experience. And packing light, like we did for this trip, there's a time and a place for both, I've said now that I love moto camping, but when you pack light and you have somewhere to stay, you pack in a very, very different way. It's actually very easy, relatively speaking, just for the night, for one night, to pack just one pannier each for two people. And we rode around for two full days. We left at 7.30 in the morning on Monday, 7.45 on Monday. We got back at 11 o'clock or 11.15 p.m. on Tuesday, two full days. And those two panniers, nothing else at all, strapped to the bike. So incredibly easy to get panniers off and on in the morning when you're packing up. Absolutely fine. And that's the great thing about having these easily removable panniers. It takes two seconds to remove them. It's probably the biggest single game-changing bit, as well as maybe probably the phone holder. Phone holder, I use Quadlock. So Quadlock and the panniers, the two single biggest bits of game-changing kit for for motorcycle travel because they make life so so much easier you know you get to the log cabin i've got hepcom becca panniers for example they're extremely good you just twist the key to unlock them from the bike and you just lift both off it takes three seconds and then you're in for the evening and then to pack up again you pack up you pack up actually in your accommodation and then you just clip on the fully packed panniers onto the bike. You know, I remember before panniers, it would take me ages, you know, three or four different bags and then be cable or ratchet strapping them onto the bikes. It would take me about half an hour to set up my, my luggage once I'd actually got outside to the bike because I'd be figuring out the best place to put the ties to the bike. Oh, having good quality panniers. Amazing. Okay, I'm waffling. I continue. A bit of news here. Uh, this is from Visor Down. Cost of living crisis shrinks uh, the motorcycle market in the UK. 
Honda registered 1,804 motorbike sales in July 2022, and it was the leading manufacturer in, two, in five two-wheeler categories. That's really incredible. In five motorcycle categories, Honda are the leading manufacturer. Most of the other biking brands, their, their sales figures are down compared to this time last year. But one of the only brands to have a more successful July in 2022 compared to 2021 was, can you guess, Royal Enfield. They went from 477 registrations to 581. Additionally, Royal Enfield's Meteor 350 topped the custom class and their classic 350 topped the modern classic category. So the Meteor topped the custom category and the classic 350 topped the modern classic category. I'll tell you what's interesting about these figures in my mind. Royal Enfield, they are a very big seller. They have two market-leading bikes in terms of sales with the Classic 350 and the Custom. They sold in July, just in one month, 581 bikes. But Honda, Honda sold 1,804. Now, I don't touch on Honda that much, but they are, they are just almost on another planet with their motorcycle sales. And a lot of that, of course, will come from the 125 to 150cc category. And Honda really do rule, not just in the UK, but worldwide. There's really no one that comes anywhere near Honda. You want a bike under 150cc and you don't care about the style with the likes of a Vespa or even a you know what I was about to say? Or even a Honda Cub. Well, there you go. There's a Honda. If you don't want something that looks like a Vespa and you want just reliability, you go with a Honda. And there it is. I was about to say Vespa or Honda Cub. And exactly that. Honda. They are the bike to go to or the brand to go to for in so, so many categories. I move on. Oh, this is great. Uh, this is from Shannon from, uh, from Australia. Shannon... Big guy rides uh, rides victories over in Australia, and he's he's part of a biker group out in uh, out in Australia. The, I find this interesting because he went over to the US to ride, and he got uh, a Harley Road King for the day. <laughs> and he he was wearing Kevlar jeans and a helmet, and the guys from the US that he was riding with, they they were taking the Mickey out of him for riding with Kevlar jeans and a helmet, because in the US still, they, they weren't wearing any protective gear at all. They were wearing just simple, normal jeans and no helmets. It's so interesting, different, different biking cultures and how we see things. In the US, you know, I often forget, but there are still states in the US where you don't have to wear a motorcycle helmet, let alone, I mean, you know, heaven forbid you wear some protective motorcycle jeans, a jacket, gloves, boots. No, 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 don't worry about that. Even a helmet you don't have to wear. It's very, very interesting. In Europe, we're probably the polar opposite of that. You know, there'll be a lot of times when if I just go to the shop, I'll just wear a helmet and normal jeans and trainers, for example, just if I'm going at 30 miles an hour or so. Um, but a lot of people really, really don't like that. You know, you will come in for, especially in Europe, in Europe, a lot, a lot of criticism if you don't go out even for, you know, a 30 mile an hour ride completely kitted up 
you know, wearing a jacket, gloves, boots, jeans, you know, fully kitted up. It's very different in different, uh, different parts of the world. It's fascinating hearing, you know, out in the US, cruising around on a Harley, no helmet, just the wind in your hair. And of course, when you go to Southeast Asia, yeah, that's just standard, you know. I mean, they're only 150cc bikes, but you wouldn't dream of wearing any biking gear out there. It's so hot. Everyone's in flip-flops, vest, t-shirt, and a helmet that's probably been dropped over a hundred times. As, yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting. Still in the US, you know, nothing at all. A bit like, what's, what's that brilliant film? Um, can't believe I've forgotten the name of it. Two guys, um, two guys, and they were riding along on the Harleys. Epic film, completely forgotten the name. I'm sure you'll all know it. Uh, with the two brilliant actors, actors, and then Jack Nicholson. You'll be screaming down, down your phones and down the radios, telling me I can't remember. But anyway, you know they're out there with no helmets at all, just road tripping across the U.S. and in many bits of the country, it's still exactly the same, just like that. Uh, have a listen to this. Uh, I won't say his name because only because that this could still currently be going on as um, as an issue. Um, so I won't say his name. It's a, it's a good friend of mine out in Tenerife. Basically, his brother bought um, a Triumph TR5. Stunning, stunning motorbike. Really, really beautiful. But um, but unfortunately, you know, he bought this bike and. I think he may even have bought it from a from a, a museum. Dream bike, really happy with it. But he, it turns out after he was dismantling this, I think it's an early 1970s Triumph TR5. After dismantling this stunning bike, I think kind of baby blue metallic, he realised, hold on a sec, bugger. The, the VIN number, the VIN number doesn't match with with the paperwork of the bike and the engine number, the VIN number, the engine number, the, the logbook number, these, these don't match up. And he only realized this after taking the bike apart, you know, to clean it up and give it a really good service to look through. And this guy knows his stuff. He, he does his research and he's, you know, can't believe that he let this get past him. So now he's going back to the place where he bought it, you know, to say, look, come on, this, this isn't right. You sold me this bike as a, a proper, a, a proper real deal bike. You know, if you're selling a bike as something, you can't be selling it as a, a tribute to a bike, you know, almost like a, a kit bike, a replica. If you're selling it as a certain bike, it has to be a certain bike. Uh, it, the older bikes get, the harder it gets to really be able to pinpoint some stuff. I guess you just need an extensive history and, and do a check, but... You know, this guy knows his stuff. And I, I can imagine how heartbreaking it is realising that your dream bike isn't quite what you expected it to be. I think I've been done once before with, with fake mileage on a bike because I, I didn't check properly. That was my fault. I didn't check properly. And luckily it was only an £800 Suzuki Bandit. Um, I hope you get that sorted out. I move on. Oh, Freddie. Okay, I'm moving on to, this is an email, um, so sorry, I haven't saved the name, but this is about sound on exhaust. Hi, Freddie, just listening to your latest podcast and wanted to share my thoughts on the section, Loud Pipes Save Lives. 
I'm someone who loves a, a loud throaty exhaust. I've got screaming eagles on my Harley. However, however, I'm now also ready to welcome the electric future of motorcycles when they are a little more suitable and attainable. Now, to the point of loud pipes save lives, this is just untrue. I get ignored equally whether I'm on my thunderous Harley or my quiet little Van Van 125. It was also mentioned that, and I'm quoting, it is extremely important to hear traffic. I continue, I don't think it is. Drivers will often Listen to music, sometimes very loudly, which drowns out all external sounds. Modern cars are designed with soundproofing. They are actively trying to block out the sound from the outside world. For pedestrians, it's not uncommon that they too will be listening to music completely drowning out external noise. Then you also have deaf people. For them, it's not even a choice, yet they seem to manage with little issue. If you're planning to cross a road and rely solely on your hearing to alert you of any dangers, then I don't think you'll last long in this world. E-bikes e or electric scooters, skateboards in this country don't really go any faster than regular bicycles. And bicycles don't make any noise. Arguably, they make less noise than e-bikes. With regards to electric cars, I don't think they are any quieter than, intern than internal combustion engine cars when going over 15 miles an hour. Actually, stand near the road and listen. Ideally, with a mix of EVs and internal combustion engine vehicles passing, for the most part, all you'll hear is road noise. Modern internal combustion engine cars are so quiet that unless you have a big truck van or sports car it's really not making much noise at all so really the only solution that might be an issue is when electric cars are traveling slowly like in a car park i've seen people step out in front of range rovers or lorries because they weren't paying attention the argument for evs being too quiet and causing danger is just feet is just a feeble attempt to cling on to a decrepit technology thank you very much for sharing that i uh, i broadly share your share your thoughts and opinions there i i think you're absolutely right i don't think there's a there's too much of an argument saying that we have to be having loud exhaust to be seen thank you for sharing that it, it's also an interesting point i was in john lewis just yesterday and i'm looking at some some nice over-ear headphones and noise cancelling technology is, is very popular, very common now. And I put these earphones on and uh, I could still hear around me in the shop people chatting away. And then I pushed the button to turn on the, the noise cancelling of the headphones. And I've, I've never witnessed anything like it. Headphones on, still hearing stuff around me, press the button for the noise cancelling and immediately feel this almost suction type experience and suddenly all of the sound around you completely disappears it's a brilliant experience really i've never never realized how good this noise cancelling is and actually what it felt like in reality it's brilliant and incredibly effective and that's just another way that you know as the world progresses you know, you get noise cancelling, you get electric vehicles. Everything removes the sound around you. So we just have to adapt. And of course, yeah, you don't get a whole load of deaf, pe deaf people getting run over on the street. You, you have to use all of your senses and probably more important than any sight to make sure that you're safe on the roads. Thank you for sending that over. Very interesting. This is from Dave.
And this is putting another point, uh, point of view across. Um, Freddie, uh, I found this very interesting, actually. So here goes. I'm quoting from Dave here, an email he sent me. Freddie, I want to caution you in your enthusiasm for electric bikes and cars. I want to encourage you to research some things. Please learn about the impact lithium mining is having on the environment. Research how our planet doesn't have enough copper or lithium to come close to supplying the battery requirements some governments are demanding. This is in no way a political statement. You know, no country is even close to having an electrical grid to support the electric dreams, the new stations report. The, there is, thank you for that, Dave. There's, there's a, a very significant chunk of people who, who feel exactly this way, not just from people messaging me, and apologies if I can't read them all out. Um, but, you know, people, people in the know, knowledgeable people uh, who share this exact thought. I just thought I'd do a little bit of research on this before, um, before recording this podcast. And it is very interesting because um, how destructive is lithium mining? Lithium, the, uh, the, the material, the, the quality... I've completely forgotten the word, but the thing that we need to create batteries in essence. Um, I've got this just here on Google and I'm quoting, While, uh, why is lithium extraction bad for the environment? Any type of resource extraction is harmful to the planet. This is because removing these raw materials can result in soil degradation, uh, degradation, sorry, water shortages, biodiversity loss, damage to the ecosystem functions and an increase in global warming. Um, there are also many articles on South America's lithium fields and they reveal the dark side of our electric future. This is from Euronews.green. I could go on and on, but in essence, there are aerial photographers showing the the destruction that this lithium mining is creating um, and they show how swiftly this can change landscapes in this electrification period that we're in at the moments lithium represents a root out of and i'm quoting root out of the reliance on fossil fuel production as the lightest known metal on the planet, it's now widely used in electrical devices from mobile phones to laptops to aircraft and cars. I'll just read one more paragraph here. Lithium ion batteries are most famous for powering electric vehicles, which are set to account for up to 60% of new car sales by 2030. The battery from a Tesla Model S, for example, uses around 12 kilograms 12 kilograms of lithium. These batteries are the key to lightweight rechargeable power. However, this doesn't come without a cost. Mining the chemical element can be harmful to the environment. German photographer Tom Hagen specializes in documenting the traces that we leave on the Earth's surface. He, uh, his work provides an overview of places where we extract, refine and consume resources uh, with the latest series exposing the lithium triangle. I could go on and on, but um, yeah, if you have a look at some pics of lithium fields, for example, in Chile, yeah, it, it does cause a huge amount of destruction. And I'm actually, um, speaking personally, I'm not specifically, 
I'm not specifically hugely strongly pro pro or negative electric. I, I know we need to change uh, from internal combustion engines ev eventually. Will that be electric? Uh, I guess it will be. Um, but, you know, it's good to be open-minded to the pros and cons of each. And certainly from the electrification of things, making batteries, there are huge negatives to this as well. So it's a very interesting argument. What is the best way to progress? And can the world really sustain all of this lithium mining? Can it sustain it? Because we're still at a relatively small percentage. In fact, we're probably relatively at a tiny percentage of vehicles being electric if you look from a worldwide scale. Tiny. What's going to happen when that's 100% of vehicles being electric? It's uh, actually, if you think about it, a mind-blowingly scary prospect. Can, can it be sustainable, you know, having every vehicle in the country, all of China, all of Africa, for example, all of Europe, having electric vehicles? Are there enough resources for this? Because all resources like this, like lithium, lithium required for batteries, they're finite resources. They're finite so where's the end? You know, is this going to be the real answer? Thank you, Dave, for sending that over. Right. I continue. Um, oh, have a listen to this. This this is from Adam, Adam in the UK. Freddie, I recently made um, made the move from sports bikes um, to a, an adventure bike, a Triumph Tiger 800. Listening to you and other listeners made me remember why uh, I bike, and that's to love it and enjoy the moments. Adventure bikes are for me. These are the bikes for me. However, I found how expensive the extras are for the likes of Triumph. I was wondering if you could cover a small segment on the podcast with tips for ways to get high-quality parts and extras and where to get them from. Thanks for your time and keep up the good work. Uh, Adam, this is really interesting because, as many of you will know, I have put a lot... So I'm just getting myself comfy here. I've, I've put a lot of modified parts on my Bonneville at a cost. Probably if you add everything up for the Bonneville parts, I think it's probably about a grand and a half or so. It's a lot of money. Now, interestingly... It's often hard to tell what, um, what parts are real, genuine quality parts. And are you taking bits off your motorbike and replacing them with more high quality parts? Or are you actually putting lower quality parts on your bike? And I have made some very stupid mistakes with modifying my Bonneville. I remember when I got it, I was so excited that I now had a bike that you could really modify. I was just replacing anything I could getting rid of the original and yep if there's something on the market for an aftermarket part that could replace it great replace it don't worry about is it better quality just can it be replaced great rip off the original into the bin and replace it with an aftermarket part and it was only after nine or ten months of having these aftermarket parts on that I realized ah there's a difference here and there's a reason why certain parts are much more expensive than other parts. Because if we're looking at Triumphs, there's a company called Motone. And they make fairly expensive but high quality parts for, for Triumphs, aftermarket parts. And 
I can tell you now, after having them on for two years on my bike, they are genuinely better than original Triumph parts. They're, they're made with incredibly high quality materials. And bear in mind, this is not sponsored at all. I've, I've never got a penny from them. Um, they're made with incredibly high quality parts and they're, they're billet aluminium. And this is key. It's much more expensive than other aftermarket parts that I've bought. And I, I always thought, oh, come on, they look the same, it's fine. Just get the cheaper parts. No, the cheaper bits I've put on my bike are very often steel sprayed black, for example. The, the black paint always ends up going dull after about six months and they start rusting. Motone, billet aluminium, they've stayed completely pristine, a deep shine. No rust at all, of course, because they're aluminium. And they, they will be on the bike and they will last for a lifetime. But the, the difference in cost is huge. I bought some fairly cheap black mirrors for the bike, for the Bonneville. They look atrocious. I had to replace them with the original Triumph ones because they, the black went so dull and they were, they were rusting after about 10 months. So they went straight in the bin. I was furious at myself for replacing the lovely chrome Triumph mirrors with just really substandard, substandard ones. So in answer to your question or the first part of that, Adam, it's much, much better to spend more money on the parts because a lot of these parts are cheap Chinese parts and sometimes you can only tell when the quality's bad after six, seven, eight months or so when they start rusting, they start fading. So go for the high quality parts. Um, I want to give you an example here on how to find cheap bits because, yeah, you're right. It's really expensive getting high quality aftermarket parts for you know, Triumphs, Harley-Davidsons, things like that. If I give you an example here, let's go on to, um, i tell you what I'll go on to. I bought, oh, I got from Motone a lovely aluminium front mudguard. The original mudguard, for example, on my Bonneville is plastic. I got an aftermarket one from Motone and it's aluminium and it's just stunning. You know, I've replaced the original plastic one with a much, much better aluminium one. I don't like plastic on bikes. I like them to be all metal. And it feels so much better having that aluminium mudguard on the front of the bike. And I'll just see if I can find it. I'm flicking through Moto now. It's not cheap, this. I think it's about at least £150 for this. It may even be just checking now. Ah, here we go. I found it. Ah, it is for an aluminium front mudguard, for example, for my Bonneville, straight from Motone's website. It's £110. Or it's £100, to be fair. It's £100. However, we're now into the end of biking season and you will be able to pick up a bargain. If you get quality parts like Motone, I found this exact mudguard from Motone and someone's painted it but it's an aluminium mudguard. I think you'll need to sand back that black they've painted over it, but you can get it now. It's on auction, four days left, but current bid, there have been three bids, £3.20, because there'll be a lot of people who will have modified their bikes, and then what people do, they modify their bikes, and if they do come to sell them, they know that bikes usually uh, get much, much more money if you put them back to standard. 
Relatively speaking, people don't want to buy modified bikes because they get freaked out. I had a friend of mine recently, he did a, did a lovely job modifying his Triumph Speed Twin, beautiful job. He, he did the highest quality modifications you can possibly, possibly get. In fact, this happened to two of my friends. There was no expense spared and because I was with them during the process, yet their bikes sold for less than a standard equivalent bike because people just get freaked out by buying modified bikes. They don't know the quality, they don't know really what bits you've used, they get scared. So what people usually do is they'll put their bike back to standard when they sell them and that means that you'll be able to buy genuinely very good, very usable bits of second-hand kit for your bike from people who are coming to sell them. Example. On eBay, I found the exact same Motone front mudguard, aluminium, is £3.20. There are four days left of the auction. You know, £3.20, there's a good chance it won't go for any more than £15 or so. So get on to these, um, these sites, Gumtree, eBay, type in the exact thing you want. So for example, here I've typed in Motone Triumph Bonneville mudguard, and this pops straight up. So just type in your bike model, the exact bit you want, find the supplier that is good, for example, Motone with the modern classics as an example, find that, and you can do this with panniers, you know, Hepcombecker pannier, um, SW Motec pannier for um, KTM, for example, type that in. You'll get these on Facebook Marketplace, on Gumtree, on eBay. You'll be surprised at the bargains that you can get. I hope that's helped, Adam. I will move on to, to the last bit. Uh, this is... This is two bikes I wanted to quickly discuss, two used propositions. Well, one's German, one's Japanese. What should I start with first? Let's go German. BMW R18. This is... Now, this is quite interesting because this is a bike that, uh, that came out about two years ago. And let me see if I can get this up on on Auto Trader here because I think I found something. I was having a look at this earlier. Auto Trader. Used prices of this, they've come down a decent chunk. Let, let me just have a look at this. So I'm opening it up now. Auto Trader, bikes, BMW R18. Because of course, with cruiser bikes, it's usually only really the, the Harley Davidsons that hold their value well. Most of the time with cruisers, even if you're looking at Triumphs, you know, the Japanese bikes, they don't hold their value well as cruisers. It has to be a Harley or an Indian. It has to be American. And I was curious this morning, well, how is the BMW R18 done? Because the, the brand new prices of BMW R18s are £7,500 for the base model with nothing on, you know, no rear seat or anything else. Seventeen. £17,500. And bear in mind, it's only two years old, but it's a big cruiser and it's not American. So is there a bargain to be had after just two years? And I can see that. Let's have a look at this. I'm on Auto Trader here, so you may well be able to get cheaper. I am on Auto Trader and there's a BMW R18, funnily enough, advertised in a Triumph dealership. It is two years old. It has, and get this, after just two years, it's got 440 miles on the clock. Nothing. 440 miles on the clock. And the cost, the price, £12,500. It's come down 
£5,000 in two years, I would say that's a, a fairly chunky drop. And what I also find interesting about this, I find this fascinating actually, there are currently just on AutoTrader 116 BMW R18s currently for sale. So they've only been around for two years and there are 116 available. That sounded like a lot to me. So what I did is I also went on to AutoTrader and I typed in Harley Davidson Softail from 2020 to the present day. So the exact same time frame, and I've kept it broad. I've done Harley Davidson Softail. So bear in mind that covers the vast majority of Harley's models. That covers everything from the Harley Davidson Street Bob all the way to, to the Road King and everything else in between. That's a huge range of different models that the Softail umbrella covers. And out of all of those, there are 163 bikes, 163 Harley Davidsons compared to 116 BMW R18s. See, there are, there are almost as many BMW R18s for sale on second hand on AutoTrader as there are Harley Davidson Softails. There are a lot available of these R18s. So if you're looking for a good deal and they get good write-ups, go and check them out because I think you'll be able to pick one of these up for a very reasonable amount. The fact they've dropped down to 12.5K and there are a lot of them on the market there's a chance they may not hold their value incredibly well. I will. I've got time. Let me do the last one. Next bike. This, this is, this is a good one in my eyes. Suzuki Intruder 1800. To the best of my knowledge, this is the biggest engine Suzuki uh, motorcycle they've, they've ever made. It's a very, very good looking bike. It came out in 2006 it got from MCN four out of five star review. It's a big, big beast of a bike. It's, think Harley Davidson with a slight Japanese twist, but it is classically good looking. Owner's rating 4.3 out of five. Riding quality four out of five. Engine four out of five. Reliability four out of five. Value four out of five. It's a very, very good proposition. And for a bike that's got such a gigantic engine, Let's have a look at the cost if you get a new one of these, uh, if you get a used one of these. Just before I go, this will be the final thing of today's episode. Suzuki, let's find Intruder. And I'm going for the biggest engine, the Intruder 1800. There are 16 available on Autotrade. And bear in mind, we're at the end of the season now. There are bargains to be had. Yeah, there really are bargains to be had. Wow. Cheapest one, and it is the right spec, just with a, a very simple singular front headlamp, which I think looks even better than the slightly more flamboyant one. This is as good as any, any other cruiser looks-wise. It looks superb. Ah, oh, it's a great-looking bike. Twin exhaust on the right-hand side, chrome exhaust, all black, studded black seat, rider and passenger, gigantic chunky front tire with swept back handlebars a perfect balance of chrome and black incredible road presence 2011 model 20,000 miles on the clock head turner of a bike 
really beautiful, beautiful stance, and it comes from the Superbike factory in London. The price, £5,989. God, that's tempting. £5,989. I'll include a link to that bike because that is a microscopically small amount of money for such a beast of a bike. I'll end it there. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this week's episode. It's the end of the season, biking-wise. I mean, I'll ride through the year, but for a lot of people, it's the end of the season. Get on to Auto Trader, to eBay, to Gumtree. Get on to the classifieds. Have a look for your dream bike, because probably in reality, prices really start dropping at the end of October. But they'll still have dropped a little bit now. End of October through to about March or April. This, this is the amazing time. Now, pick up secondhand motorcycle clothing. Pick up a, a great proposition of a used bike. There are hours of fun to be had. It's a glorious thing, biking. Oh, I love it. Thank you, everyone, for coming along. Please do. I was about to say, please do give the video a like. I'm in my YouTube mode. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. I'll speak to you on the next one. Take care.